If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Fair enough. I think we got off the track there. Um, oh, we totally off the track. People tuning in will be, aren't this supposed to be about Bitcoin? <laughs> what the hell are you doing talking about the League of Nations? <laughs> Which is great. That's interesting. So let's get into it. Welcome to Bitcoin Basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit bitcoinbasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics podcast. I am Ferris here again with my co-host, Gordon. Now, Gordon, I kind of requested today's topic, which is decentralization. The reason I requested this one is because throughout the years we've been doing this, we notice that people, there's a lot to comprehend about Bitcoin. We've definitely, you know, made a career about explaining people, um, explaining to people how Bitcoin works. And one thing that people are grasping now is the um, the market cap of Bitcoin or how many Bitcoins will be created at 21 million. So I think the fact that central banks are just printing a lot of money, handing money out to people because of this um, COVID uh, crisis, people are appreciating something that has limited supply. And that's one thing where people go, oh, I get Bitcoin, only 21 million will be created. I think the next shoe to drop that people appreciate will be decentralization. And that's why I kind of want to jump on board now and just say, here's what I really took me a little bit longer to appreciate because it's more falling to your area of expertise, Gordon. But I think decentralization will be the next thing that people go, I see why that's important. Um, but to understand decentralization, we first need to understand what is centralized. So can you explain to me, Gordon? Um, how is decentralization different to the way we've been running centralized networks? Can you explain those for us, please? Did you know we provide a help desk at BitcoinBasics.help? Do you need help buying Bitcoin on an exchange or transferring your Satoshis to a Bitcoin wallet? Perhaps you need assistance with setting up a desktop, mobile or hardware wallet. Is your security hygiene up to date? We provide individual, one-on-one -on -one support, regardless of your understanding of Bitcoin, size of investment, or level of technical ability. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. I think before we even get into all of that, Faris, uh, I think we should give some non-technical, non-Bitcoin examples of centralization and decentralization. So you've got a background in politics and, well, not politics, but geopolitics, international relations. You tell me, what is centralization and decentralization from a non-technical point of view? Um, well, I guess you're looking at, if you're looking at decentralization versus centralization. So if you want to look at an economy, um, we used to have centralized economy. Um, and this is when um, you even practice like what's called mercantilism. If you wanted something, you would go get it from somewhere else. So you needed rubber, you would invade a country and steal their rubber. We didn't trade. Then we learned how to trade. We learned to open up economies, what we call globalization. Um, so I suppose that's what you say. We decentralize our economies. We still have centralized nation states in that you vote for your own leader. You have your own military, but your economy is opened up globally. Um, so for example, one thing in... Um, you know, when if the price, sorry, if there is a storm in Brazil, then that's going to affect the price of coffee and timber and oil and sugar around the world. So we are a global economy where we are interacting with each other. 
um, not one thing is shut off. Um, I don't know if that's the example you wanted me to take, but. Yeah, that's um, inter- I actually hadn't thought of that before in terms of globalization. So is, is that related? I'm just trying to think out loud. Is that related to the example you gave with the coffee? You know, the price of coffee affects the entire world. Is that so could you say the more globalized it is, the more centralized it is? Not really, no. I would not use yeah. the words centralized to explain a global world order. Um, we're kind of getting into even Marxist theory here. Um, so to me, the way I would look at it is, do you have, do you have, I'd look at it from an economic point of view. Do you have a centralized economy or an open economy? And open is not necessarily the same as, or it's not the antithesis of centralized. Um, it's sharing versus just, controlling what you have so you know we presume there's still starvation in north korea because theirs is a closed economy so it's closed and there's open i would not use those as example for centralized and decentralized though i think they're quite different yeah so we're really talking about control aren't we Mm. we're talking about control versus open as you said and in technology we'll get to that in a second but what about things like the un and the eu and perhaps an ngo that has maybe not a head office, but they have several offices in different continents. Maybe we could say that was sort of a decentralized structure. Yeah, so I would call that more transparent. I mean, the League of Nations was created because it took 31 days for World War I to basically launch and it was miscommunication. Like on the day of the war, you still don't know who your enemies were and who your friends were, who your allies were. It was, everything was done, you know, cloak and daggers. League of Nations, United Nations was done as a means of making global economics open and transparent. So there's no backroom secrets. So yeah, that is probably a better example. It's that transparency. That's what I would say centralization would resemble. That is everything's done out in the open. Everyone can see what's going on. It's not hidden in a dark corner somewhere. Fair enough. I think we got off the track there. Um, oh, we totally off the track. People tuning in will be, aren't this supposed to be about Bitcoin? <laughs> what the hell are you doing talking about the League of Nations? <laughs> Which is great. That's interesting. So let's get into it. But before we get into Bitcoin, I think uh, one of the easiest, perhaps, examples to understand of decentralization is the internet. So you've got the internet, you've got, say, email, SMS. Um, the internet's a good example because I'll give you the theory. The theory is no one controls the internet. The reality is, well, perhaps certain corporations do control certain amounts. Like, for example, let's take AT&T. AT&T might do, say, 5% of the internet's traffic just because they're a big American company and whatnot. But still, that 5% doesn't mean that they have control of it. So uh, the theory of the internet is that it is a network that anyone can participate in, You know, whether that's uh, getting your Wi-Fi internet from a coffee shop, whether that's you're a business and you have a dedicated internet connection. And so that control, no one controls the internet. There's no one sort of internet global organization. But of course, there are certain standards, there are certain organizations, there are protocols. And so you could argue, you know, that the internet is controlled, for example, by big tech and big techs basically um, enforcing a lot of the standards. But even then, you know, you've got simple stuff like we're talking on Zoom, uh, you got web browsers, you're, you're on a Mac, I'm on Linux. These things work because there are standards and those standards aren't being monopolized by any company, even though some companies have more control than others. So I think an internet is a great example of a decentralized system, a network of networks 
that uh, no one controls. So when you say control, I just want to check, is that a tech term in that no one basically can determine how I use the internet or is control, no one can see what every single human being is doing on the internet? Uh, neither. Control means own, owns the internet. Yeah. Uh, they could make uh, changes that affects everyone. Now, I was watching the Avengers lately and Tony Stark goes to Norway where there's this huge hub where all the data and the internet goes through this one hub. Is that true? Uh, yes, that is true. Really? No. So there's... <laughs> you ask a uh, just a reminder. A stupid answer. <laughs> yeah, just a reminder. Sarcasm does not always come across when people can't see your face, Gordon. <laughs> no, the internet doesn't work like that, Ferris. Yeah, from Marvel movies. Um, the internet used to be in back in the 70s or 80s, the internet, by the way, was uh, actually originally called ARPANET, which created by DARPA, which is a defense uh, organization in America. And um, basically the internet was actually, you know, 10 or 15 sort of serve massive servers sort of around the US. And then they slowly bought universities online and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. But nowadays, no, there's no one central hub. Um, there's not even sort of, e even within a country like the US, it's probably the biggest internet user um, there's no one central server or anything like that within the us so so what we're saying now is that the the internet and when i say internet i would just like to refer to transactions on the internet if they're being recorded somewhere because everyone listening thinks whatever i do online it's not hidden it's the recorded somewhere so all transactions on the internet are not housed in one central server anywhere in the world however would it be accurate to say that they are housed in maybe, I don't know, half a dozen or a dozen separate servers around the world? Well, if you ask the NSA, they probably would say that it is actually uh, housed in one central location. I think it's Utah, where they've got three nuclear power plants uh, recording every piece of data going in and out of the States. But no, of course, it's not housed anywhere. Uh, data's flying around. Uh, certain companies are perhaps looking at that data, but no, no one is able to see a snapshot of all the data. So if one person, one entity can see everything that's centralized, but what we're talking about now is that, that, that even you wouldn't call that distributed, would it? Because not one person needs access to everything. I think look, the example that you've given in the past that I really like is understanding Apple. So if you use iCloud services, now Apple, if they backed all that up, into one computer that's centralized. That computer breaks down, everyone's lost their data. So Apple is backing that up into, is it three different servers around the world? Yeah, backup's not a great word because backup is sort of like, you know, you think of backup and restoring. I think copying is maybe a better word, but okay. uh, yeah, as you said, Faris, yeah. So let's get into it. So basically a centralized version or a, a single copy of something would be if you had a website um, for example, coincompass.com, uh, our website is centralized. It's in one location. It's on one server and exists in one place on the internet that is centralized. We control it. We own it. We do whatever we want with it. And then the next step up is something that is called distributed. So what you mentioned with, uh, Apple iCloud or, you know, Google drive or any of these file sharing platforms, Dropbox. They are still centralized, so they're still owned by a particular company. They're owned by Dropbox, they're owned by Apple, they're owned by Google, but the data is actually copied in several locations. So uh, Faris up uploads his um, 
photo and that on iCloud then gets copied to several locations. Now, iCloud might have three or four data centers around the world or Apple. I'm sure they've got more. Um, so that photo um, goes to um, the main, you know, maybe in California, but that photo also exists in Apple's data center in Africa and Asia in Europe as well. So uh, that photo exists in four physical locations around the globe. So that is that a distributed system because it's just been copied across. It's the one original content copied across different locations. And when you update one, the rest are updated. Yeah, so it, it basically ensures um, no uh, single point of failure. Yeah. Um, it's not transparent. Like Apple owns it. You know, you yeah. don't really have access to any of that, but yeah. So ownership is centralized by Apple, but the process is distributed. Yeah, and and you know that I would say the data. So the data okay. is distributed. Now, before Bitcoin, have we had examples of any decentralized networks? Yeah, we have. We've had a, a network uh, technology called uh, BitTorrent, and um, for those who remember back in the day, sharing files. Of course, I never ever shared anything or downloaded anything illegal ever. Uh, just in case anyone's listening. So yeah, that I mean that was used for you know people sharing music and movies and whatnot, um, and that was a decentralized distributed system. So from a centralized and decentralized point of view, no one owned it. You had someone who, for example, uploaded a movie, and several people were downloading that, and that movie was then initially that one person uploaded it, but then after ten minutes or twenty minutes, that movie then existed on the hard drives of hundred different people. So you've got this system where no one controls it. It is decentralized, but it's also distributed. Anyone can participate. You don't need to sort of ask for permission and no one owned it. I quite like using the example of BitTorrents because when it first came out, governments weren't too sure how to treat it. Well, they said it was illegal and we had these very expensive ad campaigns of, you know, you wouldn't steal a car, you wouldn't steal a handbag, don't steal someone else's music. And eventually people caught on that, hey, there is a need for this. People don't want to own physical tapes, CDs, DVDs. And now we have Netflix, um, Spotify, and all these streaming services, which would not exist if it wasn't for BitTorrent. And this actually leads us very well into Bitcoin because in the Bitcoin white paper, there's reference to Nick Zabo's BitGold, um, which is essentially just... Um, you know, referencing that bit in networks, which is saying, okay, you know, we've digitized music, we've digitized movies, we've digitized photography, let's digitize finance. So how is the Bitcoin blockchain decentralized? Before I answer that, Faris, you mentioned a very good point, and we can't gloss over that because you mentioned something called scarcity and digital scarcity. And that is basically what, Bitcoin solves, and we'll get into how it solves it in a moment. But in the real world, in the analog world, if, uh, Faris, you have a beer and uh, I take your beer and drink it, then you've lost it. Um, in the digital world, if you have a movie and you um, send it to me or share it with me or whatever, I've got a copy of the movie, you've still got a copy of that movie. So um, the whole notion of stealing and, and sharing and that kind of stuff becomes blurred when you get to um, the digital world. And that's actually what uh, Bitcoin actually solved. It's how you actually get scarcity, which is very easy to do in the real world. You've got a bar of gold. You steal my bar of gold. Now you've got my bar of gold. But in the Bitcoin world, um, you've got 
um, the ability in MP3s and movies to, you know, basically duplicate and copy stuff infinitum. So how do you create a currency um, with digital scarcity? And that's basically what uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever they, he, she, it, or the name of the AI was, uh, created Bitcoin. Um, and so um, how does the blockchain solve that? Well, actually, it kind of piggybacks on BitTorrent. So think back over the, to the BitTorrent example. Um, we've got this notion called peer-to-peer. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer. Any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit coincompass.com for more information and please contact us.